Association. 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 That was such uber ponage. Hello, fellow nerds. Welcome to the Nerd Association podcast from the WBNS FM studios in Columbus, Ohio. I'm your host, Mark Finch. And I'm your other host, Daniel Barnett. And uh, Chops, I'm not, I'm sure I'm not the first person to say it to you, but let me be one of the people to say to you, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. It's 2022. You know, crazy fact about 2022 when we're on nerd topics. George Jetson was born in 2022. Oh my God. Isn't that something? He's 40 years old in 2062 when the Jetsons started. It's funny that you think about how those old shows envisioned the future. And uh, right. and this is maybe one of the, the more perhaps like bang on. I could see in 40 years the, you know, the future looking like the Jetsons. So that's not that crazy to me. So maybe they got it right. Because I think you jump to the flying cars and stuff like that. But if you look at like more of the like minutiae of their world like yeah there's video calls there's robots who clean your house they're not anthropomorphic they're little discs that just vacuum around but they're kind of close on some of them i don't think we're going to be living in the sky and driving flying cars but the other stuff not too far off i don't know man i mean we have private space flight we have <laughs> we have all kinds of these tech you know nanotechnology is a thing that's like starting to be developed i guess i wouldn't be that surprised if in 40 years we have it's stark on the horn what can he invent yeah exactly um well and if you think about like where teslas are and self-driving vehicles and that kind of stuff i guess i feel like hover cars probably aren't that far off but with ho- hover cars that we just can't trust people to be flying around i mean i guess maybe people probably said the same thing about cars but flying seems even more dangerous well that's why it's self-driving is important right you just put in your yeah. destination and it drives for you i'd love to have a self-driving car that'd be great i mean that'd be pretty cool you trust it I mean, I yeah, I think I do. I, I would trust it more if everyone had one because then they'd all be talking to each other. All the cars would be sort of communicating yeah. with one another. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, I think the technology is good. It's as good as a human. Uh, yeah, I, I like. I don't trust other drivers very much, so what's the difference? People are like, oh, self-driving cars, you know, they get into accidents sometimes. Yeah, a lot less than human beings do. Anyway, we, we, we are Welcome to we 2022, are, yeah, everybody. Exactly. And, and a happy new year to you nerds out there listening. We took the week off between Christmas and New Year's, as I think the rest of the world did. But we are ready to get back into the swing of things. So, Chops, what do you think of when I say, so are you just going to stay dressed as a cool youth pastor or... I think of, I mean, do we have to go right into oh, spoiler yeah. alert? Um, it's, I guess that's worth saying, yes. And we did hold off just a little bit longer because I've heard lots of people, people within my own circle even, who did not want to be spoiled for this movie, who were very upset at all of the sort of media coverage of it and tried, wouldn't even watch trailers because they were afraid of what they might see. But at this point, if you haven't seen Spider-Man No Way Home, and you haven't paid attention to any of the media coverage about it for the last year, and you want no spoilers, then you got to get out now. Because... And please come back after you've seen it. Yeah, please come back after you've seen it. I feel like there's no good way to talk about this movie and how cool it is, because the whole plot is, is the spoiler. Get out now. You've had your warning. All right. Chops, you were saying. I like that you. I like that you picked that line because when watching the movie, I had a few thoughts. 
Toby Maguire's outfit when he showed up. Whoa, one, what? Toby Maguire's in this one? Whoa. Toby Maguire was there. Andrew Garfield was Whoa. there. Tom Holland's here. The whole gang's Willem here. Willem Dafoe's there. So, Whoa. <laughs> so when he when he showed up, I thought, okay, they put him in normal clothes to help differentiate them a little bit easier when they're standing around. That that's helpful. My other theory, the second, there's three. Second was they wanted him to look more mature, like he was a little bit further along in his life that he wasn't just always, you know, right. he does have it under his clothes, but he wasn't just in his Spider-Man suit or whatever, whenever he crossed. In, he's first universes. Peter Parker and yes. then he's Spider-Man. Whereas even Andrew Garfield is still Spider-Man. Then Correct. Peter Parker. Yeah. And the third theory is a bit of real world leaking in. I would venture to guess that Toby Maguire was like, I don't want to wear the suit the whole time we're filming. Yeah. It's not very comfortable. I mean, probably. I already did. I, I do think, though, that you're primarily, I think it is a show, it does show that, and for those of you who are just now figuring it out, um, the premise of Spider-Man No Way Home, I'll give you the very, like, the very TLDR version is Spider-Man's name is all over the news because Mysterio, uh, the villain from the previous Spider-Man film, framed him for his death through the use of the media because the media is evil, kids. Um I, that's that's a joke. Don't quote me out of context. Anyway, uh, anybody who works in media should not be trusted. Correct. Anyway, uh, so he goes to his buddy Doctor Strange and says, "Strange, I want you to make it so that no one remembers who uh, that Peter Parker is Spider Man." And then, as Strange is casting the spell, he keeps adding in like, "Oh, but I want Mary Jane to remember." Oh, or rather, MJ in this film. Oh, I want Ned to remember. Oh, oh, I want anyone who knew before to still know. Uh oh. Yes. And the spell goes awry, and Strange has a hard time keeping it in check. And what the the premise is then is that anyone from any multiverse that ever knew Peter Parker was Spider Man gets pulled into Earth six one six in this case, the pri the primary universe, and so all of the villains from the previous Spider Man Spider Man movies, well, not all of them, but many of them. Get pulled in. And so it is now the job of Tom Holland Spider-Man to go and track down these villains. And in the process, he realizes that not only are all the villains pulled in, but all the other Spider-Men are pulled in. Hence why Andrew Garfield as the amazing Spider-Man and uh, Tobey Maguire as the original I think I think Tobey Maguire's was the first movie I'm like even ever. I know there were Spider-Man television shows and cartoons, yeah. but I think Tobey Maguire's was the first on like big screen depiction. Cuz I don't even think Spider-Man has like the like Captain America has that like really really bad one from like 1990 right. that like exists somewhere, but I think you might be right that this was the first and it was the start of in the real world sense again, the start of the new craze of of superhero movies because the Batman ones had kind of worn people down and they yeah. didn't really like the, the George Clooney one. So then Spider-Man kind of revitalized that. And here we are 20 years later. Well, Spider-Man is interesting, right? Because um, it, for the for a long time, it was Marvel's only lucrative property, which is the reason yeah. that, you know, so Sony was making the Spider-Man movies and it was making money, but they didn't care about any of the other Marvel rights. Fox owned X-Men and Fantastic Four because they thought they could take them somewhere. And I guess you could argue that with, with some success. Um, they did a good job with X-Men, good enough. Sure. But then Disney was, you know, Marvel was tanking, was going bankrupt, and Disney said, well, we'll buy you. 
<laughs> we'll try that out. And we'll figure it made out. an Iron Man movie and the rest is history. But that's why, you know, for folks who aren't aware, that's why there has been in the now in recent years this fight over Disney trying to acquire Spider-Man or, uh, you know, not allowing Tom Holland to appear in the Sony movies without the contract kind of going both ways and yada, yada. And then every now and again, there's a fight, a uh, snafu over whether Disney's going to be allowed to make more Spider-Man movies. But the bottom line is like Disney has so many of the other properties wrapped up that if Sony wants to grab any of the traditional Spider-Man villains at this point, uh, they have a, yeah, you get the point. So Mm -hmm. this, these movies are proof positive. In fact, this movie is proof positive that like Sony and Disney need to get along because Spider-Man's always going to be the one that makes them the most money. Even now in the new age of Marvel, where you have this, you know, 20 film, arc that leads up to avengers endgame he's still the most bankable still the most bankable star and in fact i don't know if you saw this but uh spider-man no way home now has the record for the highest grossing pre-sale of tickets of any movie ever and of course that speaks to the hype but it's also now the first movie since 2019 to gross over a billion dollars internationally which obviously for obvious reasons, it's been hard to make money at the movies, but that should tell you something about the power of this film, that even two, almost two years into a global pandemic, it's putting people back in theater seats. And so, wow. and in an age where people are buying their tickets ahead of time, and that sort of thing is becoming the norm, you don't just show up in a movie theater anymore and buy a ticket. You, you know what I've noticed with that? What's that? Is people show up later now. Because they have a reserved seat. Yeah, I'm I'm a very on time person, so I still show up like the normal. Yeah, uh, probably like 15 minutes at least before the listed show time, which even the movie doesn't start for now another 15 or 20 minutes. Another yeah. 15 minutes because of previews, but yeah, so you sit down and I'm like, eh, it doesn't look very crowded, and, and then people pile like, in. Oh, it's yeah, it's gonna get. And it was yeah, it was a practically sold out theater. Yeah, well, and I'm like you, I like to get in my seat while the lights are still on, and I want to be there for the first preview. I mean, I want to see all the stuff. You know, I'm I'm not interested. I like exactly. I want to see what's coming up. So anyway, the fact that Spider-Man No Way Home is on this sort of vanguard or is, is taking advantage of this new trend in movie going where we want to look at our seats ahead of time. We want to pre-purchase our tickets. We want to get the particular seat. Maybe even in a in a pandemic world, we want to see, hey, at the time of purchase, can I at least get a seat or two between me and the next person over? Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it shows you that that this is that the the audience who's going to the movies, who's buying their tickets ahead of time, which is now the prevailing audience, wants to go see a movie like Spider-Man No Way Home. And so this is why this movie is important in a in a financial or fiduciary sense. And it's also or an industry way, in an industry yeah. way. And I think you're right. It is proof. Spider-Man is to Marvel. What Batman is to DC. They have found out they can just keep making these movies and people will keep going to see them. And there has been no burnout with the Tom Holland Spider-Man that there was with some of the other Spider-Man movies, right? I mean, I have heard nothing but rave reviews of all of these movies. The Tobey Maguire one, the third one, is pretty much universally derided. Andrew Garfield, the, the it was so lackluster, the response to the second one, that they canceled the third right. one. And with Tom Holland, this is the third Spider-Man, but I don't know, it's the sixth one? That he's appeared he's in. He's been yeah. in. 
Yeah, and no, people don't seem tired of it at all. And the ironic thing is, everybody was also super excited to see the other Spider-Men show yeah. up in this one, even though they got tired of them in their in their actual movie series. Everybody was super excited to see. All I, of them. I think it's unfair to say that people were necessarily tired of Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. I think they were tired of the writing. But I mean, mm. as we now the Sam Raimi one was supposed to have a fourth. I know. I you get my point though. I don't know that it's about those yeah. actors. No, I agree. You're right. And I think that the fact that they pulled off Spider-Man No Way Home, which is based on, loosely based on, the comic Spider-Man One More Day, where Spider-Man's identity is revealed, it's putting all of his loved ones in danger, it's not keeping them from getting into MIT, but, um, and he <laughs> goes to, so in that one, Doctor Strange says, no, he won't do it, and he ends up going to Mephisto, and Mephisto says he'll do it for him. And it's the same kind of thing where in order to make it happen, it's not, it can't be selective. It has to be everybody. And that comic was actually not very well received. And so as Marvel has proven, it can do, it took a, with other storylines, right? With other sort of controversial Mm -hmm. comic properties, (laughs) they took a story that didn't do so hot when it was a comic. And I've seen nothing but praise for this movie. And I, and I agree with all of it. I think it was a spectacular movie. I would call it delightful. It was delightful, and I think it proves that in the right hands, you can keep making these movies and people won't get burned out with them. And, and of course, now it's the linchpin for all of the multiverse stuff that's, you know, we've talked about how that, that started with WandaVision, that that was the sort of them d- diving into this phase four, phase five storyline of, okay, multiverse is going to be one part of it. They all obviously tapped into that with Loki two but this is the first big screen appearance of that concept and they they did a good job of explaining it to an audience who hadn't seen any of the other stuff yeah that's the thing is they i think they feel like they have people pretty locked in from a pretty wide audience so now they're starting to delve into the i mean this is still probably only five percent of how weird comics get sure but they're starting to get into that it's not villain of the week simple black and white good and bad type stuff and then it's not just simple oh we gotta save we gotta save earth it's now there's multiple universes and things are are colliding and combining and that's the kind of stuff that they're introducing people because they've 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 slowly worked their way up to that and that's something marvel's been so good at is they've taken their time through all of this and let's be really honest a movie where there are multiple Spider-Men on screen fighting five villains from previous Spider-Man movies, Spider-Man movies, could have bombed. That could have been executed extremely yeah. poorly. It could have been very gimmicky. It could have been just all Easter egg, no flavor, if we want to use that sort of metaphor. Um, but it, I think it worked. And there are so many charming nods throughout it to the to the older movies and to the property and to but without being too hammy right it doesn't feel like complete fan service because it's like well these are the actual characters from those movies so for the most like when Norman, even the most like wink wink one this is a meme was the norman osborne i'm somewhat of a scientist myself but even that one, it's like, well, he said that. Right. So that makes sense that this character would say well, that. He says that to people. Precisely. This Again, these are lines that these characters have in them. That, that, that yeah. Norman Osborn, that character surely says on a regular basis. Surely that yeah, is a see? polished, rehearsed line. 
because obviously he's you know he's yeah he he owns a giant megacorp that is a science-based yeah leg of it yeah yeah so I, I I didn't have a problem with any of the I, I haven't seen anybody have a problem with that but I you know that's kind of a common refrain sometimes with with movies like this but I thought the fan service stuff just kind of the fan servicey like stuff made sense in this yeah. because it wasn't a remake it wasn't even a reboot exactly it was these characters showing up again so beyond the and you, you know they included the cliche with great power comes great responsibility but then they at least tied that back in as like, yeah, it is a cliche in the Spider-Man world. And all three of these Spider-Men have a unique relationship with that saying being said to them by Uncle Ben or in, in Tom Holland, Spider-Man's case, Ant-Man. Well, you know, Doctor Strange talked about people's fates. And of course, by the end of the movie, it both disagrees with itself and agrees with itself that certain things are constant, right? And the line with great power must also come great responsibility, which by the way, is the way the original line is written in the comics. That's why Aunt May says it a little differently here is because it's okay. not quoting the previous Spider-Man movies. It's quoting the or it's the original Stan Lee line. You know, that is a constant in the same way that Peter Parker wanting to fix things for everyone is a constant. He wants to mm -hmm. fix people. He wants to cure people. Uh, he isn't, uh, you know, a Punisher type character that is out for blood. I mean, selectively, maybe he is, but he's not that type of character. He wants to fix things for people in this in in a childlike, optimistic way because yes. he's a kid <laughs> and and he thinks it can all be fixed in a way that somebody like even Tony Stark, who was older and more cynical and more jaded, basically at some point kind of at least on and off would say, this isn't my problem. This isn't my problem. I don't need to be the one to and deal I, with this. And I think that's the, I think that's, Tony Stark is very similar to Stephen Strange too in personality. Yeah. And I think that's the the miscommunication between Peter Parker and Dr. Strange. When he says, this is what he, when Peter Parker says it's what he wants, Dr. Strange takes into account, like, well, no, doesn't take into account that he's a kid and you should probably hash out exactly what he's saying and what his desire is here instead of going i know impulsively just going i know a spell that can do that let's just start it let's not talk about any specifics because in his mind he thinks well that's that's what you mean that's what we're gonna do whereas clearly that's not what he meant and that causes all the issues that we get this movie from Well, and you have to think dr strange for being such a pragmatic self-assured character shows a lot of weakness for Spider-Man, for Peter Parker, shows a lot of yeah. affection for him in a way that he doesn't show anybody else in the MCU, right? And so, Which is something... You can finish your thought first, sorry. Well, all I was going to say is, and we can start dealing, diving into like cool details, but I'd like to hit one of them right now. The scene where Strange is casting the spell for the first time and Peter Parker keeps adding in things, people he wants to remember him. And Peter says, MJ, Ned, Aunt May, Happy, and then, and everybody else who knew before. Or basically <laughs> everybody who knew before. Yeah. There is also, and then Strange later says, you changed my spell six times. And in that little containment unit, you know how each like sort of little glitch of the spell has a, a, a physical representation? There are six mm -hmm. sort of glitches in there. 
but Peter only okay. asked for five. And so the suggestion is that perhaps Dr. Strange made himself the sixth. <laughs> so that's, I think part of Strange's sort of self-assuredness on this point also comes from the fact that he saw the 14 million possible futures and he picked the one that would work. And the one that would mm. work resulted in half of the population being blipped and having to rebuild and Tony Stark dying. And yeah. for Peter to suggest, no, your vision, like your rules don't have to be means that strange might've screwed up on that one too. There might've been another way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so now Dr. Strange is questioning his whole foundation. Correct. And it also ties into that, that whole, what if arc, which by the way, now is clearly important. Remember when we talked about what if, and we said, okay, mm -hmm. what could potentially be, what could be canon out of that? And what is, and what isn't, that was a storyline we pointed to, to say like, this strikes us as something that could be canon. What if strange does start doubting his, his yeah. foresight and things like that. And his decisions, that is how strange Supreme, the evil version is made. But how do you make, he already has a goatee. How do you make him evil? By making it longer. <laughs> what I was going to say about Dr. Strange too, because I feel like a, a popular thought right now is that in the future of the MCU, it's going to be kind of Spider-Man in more of the Iron Man spot that he's going to be sure. the leader and the everything. But the, and again, this is maybe the real world going in. I think Tom Holland might still be a little young for them to want to place everything on that. And I think the Robert Downey Jr. like linchpin to it all, as far as a big star, I think that's going to be Benedict Cumberbatch. I think that's a probably a, a, a fair assessment that they maybe have not yet quite decided who the. I, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I do think that I they may not have quite decided yet. And Benedict Cumberbatch is currently one of the biggest names. <laughs> mm -hmm. So he's certainly maybe the lead contender of of people to kind of be the, the leader character. And again, as we've talked about before, it looks like they're going to do several different sort of concurrent storylines going on in Marvel with the threats to Earth and the multiversal threats. And so mm -hmm. to put somebody like benedict cumberbatch as the as the the captain of the multiverse thread <laughs> makes a lot of sense okay so we've we've talked about the spell and we're not going to go through it like scene by scene but i think it makes there's a lot to unpack yeah. in this so i think it makes sense to kind of go through like part by part so there's the spell and that all happens and then well, can i can i take us to a, a scene before that really quickly Sure. Um, so I was in a theater where people like actively clapped for stuff, which I always think is pretty cool. Um, I think I know where you're going with this, but yes, go. So uh, Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock as Daredevil, mm -hmm. I think was a cool reveal because it is cool, but also that paired with the um, spoilers for Hawkeye, by the way, if you haven't seen Hawkeye, the fact that Kingpin, Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin is back in Hawkeye, who was the villain from that Netflix Daredevil show, coming out in the same week, I think there's a lot of implications for what is Marvel canon and what projects could have new life. Rogers the Musical signage also shows yes. up with Spider-Man swinging across New York City. And spy the final scene of the movie is him swinging over 30 Rockefeller Christmas. Square. yes which is where the final battle of Hawkeye takes place, potentially concurrently. <laughs> so in fact, 
if I have yet to see the last episode of Hawkeye, but you, we might go in and see that you can spot Spider-Man swinging through in the background if you pause it at the right time. Who knows? I guess it's yeah. I feel a lot like if he, I feel like that. if he showed up, I would have already seen that somewhere on social media. But he might be, yeah, like an Easter egg sure. somewhere in the background. And, and we can talk about the broader implications near, nearer to the end of the episode. But I do think it's worth ta- tapping those now while we're moving through things. So sorry, you talked about the spell. Obviously, uh, the scene immediately after that is uh, where we get our sort of first introduction. Reveal yeah. mixed universes. And uh, I think we have to give a lot of credit to the Sam Raimi um, Spider-Man movies, yeah. Spider-Man movies, <laughs> because it, now I'm starting to say Spider-Man and Spider-Man in different spots, but the the casting is so good. Yes, it holds up now 20 years later. Alf- <laughs> Alfred Molina and Willem Dafoe, and then you have uh, J.K. Simmons coming back as J. Jonah Jameson, even though it's a slightly more, um, <laughs> I guess, Alex Jones-esque character it now directly takes jabs at alex jones especially with selling i love how he's like he's just like a guy in like his basement or his cruddy apartment when he's first revealing the news of peter parker being spider-man yeah. and then when you advance just a few months he's got a studio and a crew and all this stuff i i think that's i, I really like that detail. so are you saying that people who spout baseless conspiracy theories on the internet can gain following and and great personal benefit from it whoa you don't you don't say chops sorry so but again yeah so those characters are i mean his character is technically in this mcu universe but it's the same guy you know, right. whatever however you yeah, want to yeah, yeah. look at it that way but jk simmons just does such a good job so i'm glad he was he was back in it but yeah willem dafoe and alfred molina they show up in this next scene just briefly with willem dafoe but a lot alfred molina here and that was in the trailer the drop with hello peter and yeah. then he finds out you're not peter parker and that's when peter parker starts to question it and then it all goes from there i really like the nanobot technology taking yes. over his octopus arms that was funny with the like it was like pairing a device with bluetooth yes it was very and it was un, i did not expect that in the slightest when that started happening i was oh. like oh shoot though if you recall norman osborne's field of research was nanotechnology and in the set in spider-man 2 Otto Octavian points to Oscorp's technology as being key to his research. So in fact, that is not just some cl- like something they've made up on the spot. That's in canon that that both yeah. that both the Green Goblin and Doc Ock use nanotech. And then I liked how those two characters knew each other yes. because they were in separate movies in that trilogy, but like you said, they met, you know, especially Doc Ock, he mentions Osborne tech and right. stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, working in New York city, those two guys, they probably would have known each yeah. other like professionally and probably even just a little bit personally at, at the very least. Sure. So I like that, that fact that that brings that like, okay, people really are from that other world that we saw these movies. And this isn't just clever casting. Well, and that electro in a way like that, and that electro and Sandman, um, Thomas Hayden church and Jamie Fox, that their characters who were in the, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. No, Sandman was in the Raimi one. Oh, he was? The Lizard was in Andrew okay, Garfield. Okay, sorry, got him. You're, you're right, remember you're the right. third they, Spider-Man Electro has and, three villains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Electro and Electro and, and um, Killer Croc know each other. Or the Lizard? Is he the yes. Lizard and someone else is Killer Croc? He's, 
He's the lizard. Okay, sorry. Killer Croc is a DC. Yeah, character, yeah, yeah. He's actually, a Batman he's villain. He's the Suicide Squad. I get them. I yeah. get them mixed up. Sorry. Anyway, point being. No, that's that's fair. I, <laughs> I I can understand how you get them mixed up. Point being, those connections were neat. I agree. Because, yeah, you have to imagine that people and by the fact that everyone's like, yeah, it's, actually, it's doctor or I, I was a scientist or the, you know, the fact that Sandman and Electra are like, oh, yeah, I fell into some science experiment. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you got to watch where you fall. Like, That'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a really good. Line. I loved how much not only did the respective Spider-Men get to connect on the things that were constants about their experience, the villains also got to do that. Which you, yeah. you kind of have to imagine that, like in a Sinister Six scenario, which this is clearly a a nod to, if not a setup for, like in the future, you have to imagine that there is a little bit of that sort of we're all like mad scientists or failed science experiments, and and there's a reason we're like this. It's like a support group almost. Well, and then they all probably delude themselves into thinking that it's Spider-Man's fault that I'm like this too, sure. and then that's why they. They all get a common enemy the, that, that, and that brings people together. Right. Well, and that, that whole thing, it's not a, it's not a curse. It's a gift is a direct throwback mm. to the, one of the last lines in the original Spider-Man, Toby Maguire's Peter Parker says, it's my curse, but it's also my, or it's my gift, but it's also my curse. And mm-hmm. you know, the green goblin doesn't see it that way. <laughs> you don't, God doesn't have to choose is kind of what he says. Gods don't choose they take Willem Dafoe is so good with that character the things he could do with his face yeah. and I don't know if CGI is helping some of those maniacal smiles or not but it just looks so He's good so good the, the things he can do in his voice and the way he changes it just yeah. not too much but it's different right. when he's when he's Green Goblin and when he's uh Norman Osborn that moment of his spidey sense going off in in Happy's condo where it's not it's more of an it's an existential threat rather than an immediate threat you know what i mean <laughs> yeah so it's not imme- it's not immediately you can't pick uh, the source of clear it. what it right. is it's sort of like a a an, an impending doom as opposed to an immediate danger it's sort of like the thing when you're looking around like one of us is probably the the thing right and we, we have no way of knowing but we're all paranoid of each yeah. other except in this case only only spider-man is paranoid of it because he can feel a little it. um little nod back to the spidey sense when um when strange punched peter parker's soul out of his body and yet the body was still using the spidey sense to move the thing away from him yeah, i thought I like was that. a really neat touch anyway i also would like to point out willem dafoe i do think that was all there was a little bit of de-aging i think that happened with him but not much mm-hmm but I do think that that was his face. And I will say that I read somewhere he did as many of his stunts as he was allowed to do. And so a lot of the fight scenes and a lot of that choreography, like if they would permit him to do it, he would do it. And so I think he's like a 70 year old man. Yeah, but man, he was like, he was talking about wanting to get into that part of it and how he really enjoyed that. And there are a few places where you can see that some of the fight scenes were not CGI. They were wire work. There were like particularly okay. on the shield, there were moments in that fight where I could say, that's wire work, that's not CGI. Yeah. And it was him. He was the guy doing the slamming, or he was the guy getting slammed. And well, and he got to show his face off a lot more in this right. one because they gave him more of the traditional purple hood. When he showed up with that purple hoodie and that green overcoat, yeah. they that, that was another thing. They they really tried to get more into the uh the cartoon yeah. 
or comic book costumes of these characters. So, so that was fun. I think Jamie Foxx put in his contract that like, I'm going to be a cool guy this time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be a loser again. And they were like, all right, just we'll let you be, we'll let you be Jamie Foxx as Electro. There was, yeah. There was kind of no reason Max not Dillon. to let him do that though. You know, you brought up in, in Happy's condo, that scene, that was a part where if it wasn't such great casting, that might be a little bit of a lull. I mean, it's necessary to, to keep the story going and where the movie is going to go. But because all of those actors, especially Jamie Foxx, um, Willem Dafoe and Alfred Molina, because they are charismatic and so good, that is actually really interesting scene and a lot of fun yeah. to watch when it could have been a lull for the movie, but the, the casting is just so good. Uh, again, there are so many moments in these this movie that that could not have worked or that might not have worked if done differently, and it really is pitch perfect in that way. I thought this the scene of of Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield's Spider Men meeting was another place where I was worried about how that was going to go, and it was really pitch perfect, and the way that they they picked up the mannerisms of those characters so perfectly from their respective movie series. Mm-hmm. And even the things like them shooting webs at one another, uh, you know, instinctively, because uh, surely somebody in who has appeared to be them or claimed to be them has happened before, right? Yeah. One of the things the internet wanted to know ahead of time was, well, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man creates his own webs, but the other ones have like synthetic webs. What about that? Huh? How do we rectify that? And they just like made it a point in the movie to be like, Oh yeah, wait, you <laughs> make yours. Something that's, yeah, it's yeah. just something that's different. Just like these are different people. They're different people. And just like Jamie Foxx got to be hot in this one. Like, yeah, there's just little, little <laughs> differences between the multiverses, which is the point of the multiverse. Right? Yes. And even that they have like slightly different variations on the, the love interest is another sort of interesting thing. Right? <laughs> the, the MJ stuff where like, that's confusing people. Because and hers, she's not even Mary Jane, but they right. still go by MJ. And it's good that they they went with Gwen Stacy and the Amazing Spider-Man because that would have been a lot of MJ explanations yeah. if they had gone with a Mary Jane character. But to me, for that series, the fact that that Tom Holland's Peter Parker now knows that there is another love interest, I don't think that means he goes after her, but I do think that opens up the possibility of the inclusion of a Gwen Stacy Spider-Girl in his multiverse, in his version of this. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and obviously there was the nod to Miles Morales too. You know, I thought a I thought a, a kid from Queens as Spider-Man was probably going to be black and you know, there's probably one out there. Yeah, probably. And, and in fact, yeah, yeah, we we know there is. Which is another actually probably kudos to that movie for making this movie a little bit more possible because that already primed people for the multiverse sure. Spider-Man angle. Yeah. People were already ready for it. So th- then they're then they then the villains have their turn. He yeah. works, he gets Akak back to normal. back to normal. Which is still a little power hungry because when he takes off that arc reactor at the end. And he says the power of the sun in the palm of yeah, my hand. He still has the instinct. He's still, yeah, yeah, he's still into that a little bit, but he's not controlled by the tentacles on their own. Right. Um, and so he's trying to work through to get the rest. And Electro is almost taken care of, but he he turns and decides to side with with the Green Goblin right. who had been tricking him for the last. It's it, you don't know exactly when the flip happened because it was Norman Osborn, I think, for a fair period of time. And the Green Goblin took back over. I don't know, man. When they have him break the Green Goblin helmet and it laughs after it's broken, 
that to yeah. me was the the clue that the green goblin is not the green goblin has is is in there man i think it was a clever ruse it was just, the whole it was time. just a ruse yeah. the whole time because i well, because remember norman osborn would have remember that in that continuity peter parker and norman osborn's son are best friends and so he knows that aunt may is this like sweet-hearted woman with who does volunteer work like he knows this about that peter parker yeah. and and he goes and and prays on that and gets close to and gets close to her because he knows that if if one of these villains shows immediately that he knows who Aunt May is and where to find her that Peter is going to go along with whatever it takes to keep her safe you know what i mean mm-hmm. so and then i i was a little shocked at the time though not in so much in retrospect about the the death of Aunt May i wasn't really sure if they were going to do it or not I, I, yeah, I wasn't sure either. I thought they chickened out by not killing Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man at the end eh. when it seemed like they were going to. I mean, it is fair, I mean, though, that like I've been stabbed before is a pretty reasonable response to that. Yeah, but it, it just seems like in retrospect that that moment has a lot more oomph if he does succumb to his wounds. Eh. I to, So to me, I thought that I was glad they didn't kill him off because I thought it would have just been like it would have been needless. Because it doesn't really add any more emotional weight to that, then. No, if, and in right. fact, it, and in fact, it defeats the idea that, like, if you try to do the right thing, it'll turn out all right. Like, it would have defeated the purpose if Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man got killed in that moment because he was doing the right thing. It would have contradicted the message, which is, you know, stick to your okay. Morals. Well, <laughs> it doesn't have to be contradicting the message, but I still think if they're gonna do anything where he gets where he gets into an issue and he gets stabbed, I think they could have killed him off. I think that would have still been a good emotional weight to add to it, but you're right with the, with the Aunt May stuff, they already had I was going to say, I don't, yeah, I don't think they needed to add any more. They needed the redemption arc to not be tainted at that point, you know? But could, I mean, they could have written the scene in a way that it, you know, it's a, it's a selfless sacrifice and it is even more of a, an example of that. I, I mean, I I think we're just going to have to agree to disagree because I, I don't think I think it was a good decision on their part not to kill him. I, I think it I think it reduces the impact of that scene if you or it taint, taints the they, message if you do that. OK, but then aren't you aren't you grabbing it, you know, low hanging fruit if you have the moment where he gets stabbed still? They just don't have the moment at all. No, I think that 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 it's important to show that even doing the right thing, you're you're putting yourself on the line to do it. That's the sacrifice. Wouldn't the sacrifice also be not? I, that's what I'm saying. But uh, I don't know. I don't. But I don't. We're talking in circles here because we just disagree on this one. Yeah, I just. I, I don't know. I think it was the right choice not to kill him off, and I don't even think it's like a oh they might bring him back thing. I just think it's. The point of the Spider-Man character is that you're going to get the the hell kicked out of you constantly, and it's up to you to still do the right thing. And that was to like the Rocky Balboa. Well, and it was like even something getting hard, but I get back up. It was a it was a nod to a previous thing, but it was also I think uh, interesting. Like the older Spider-Man has back problems that the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man is like, oh yeah, I have that thing too, and like gives him the back crack. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a thing that's uh, evidence of like when you do this long enough, you're putting your body on the line in the way that that Batman always has that scene in his movies. Yeah, I was just about to say they they always throw that into Batman, and the back problem stuff starts in Spider-Man Two with Tobey Maguire you, when he has that 
existential crisis and he sort of loses his powers and he lands back first on do you the, know, do you know why the they did that there's a there's a uh, interesting story there toby mcguire hurt his back while filming seabiscuit like really badly and okay. so that he almost ducked out of those movies the spider-man movies because his back problems were so bad and so they wrote it in that he had a bad back so that if he like nursed it on set or like nursed it on <laughs> screen that it would make sense um that, that that's funny also that's a, also a little nod by the way so in the amazing spider-man 2 andrew garfield's peter parker spider-man kills gwen stacy by breaking her back accidentally mm-hmm. and then they give him both the sort of the good back crack which i think was a little bit of a dark a little bit of a dark nod but also um where he gets to save mj and, and in like the exact same fashion ex- where he failed to right. catch her except this time he realizes that he has to put himself closer to harm to do it like he needs to catch her then sling out you know what i mean if there's one thing this movie was good at which is good at a lot of things but character arcs are very very good yeah. and well well planned out in this movie you see them very clearly and where peter gets to mature which is nice because now that his character's leaving high school and with the extension of these movies, he is going to have to be more mature, even though that's not exactly classic Spider-Man. If they're going to want to do more things with this character, that's going to be something he's going to have to explore. This was his graduation in a lot of ways. Yeah. And in fact, they show at the end of the movie, like he can't go back to high school. There's no record of him ever having gone to high school potentially. Cause so he's studying for his GED. I, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, I, I, I mean, I like that cause it's, you know, just a way to show that that's real quick. I don't think Peter Parker would need too much GED prep based on how intelligent they make him seem, but I guess he would maybe need to take a few practice ones just to get the gist of what the test I, is. I was just be about like. to say, if anyone ever tells you that the ACT and the SAT are, uh, are accurate indicators of intelligence, they have fooled you. <laughs> they are, That's true. they are accurate indicators of how well you can take a test. Point being, I do think, yeah, in a lot of ways, this was his graduation. And 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 it was neat to see the older Spider-Man, Spider-Men imparting their messages to him. But also kind of cool that the thing he could contribute that the others couldn't was the fact that he had been in the Avengers. Right, like he, and they had no idea what that he was. He was the one. Like, that, is that a band? Yeah, he was. That was a cool moment. He was the one that that was like, oh, I teamwork. That's a thing that's that I know. And they're like, wait, you got you were you were in a band or like what was what's the Avengers? <laughs> is you know that's kind of neat too and i thought the scenes of them like web slinging around and helping each other were so well produced and it could have again had their costumes been more similar or like the gestalt action could have ruined those moments it was so well produced and the fact even yeah costumes are different enough that you can keep them apart and then when they had that one where they all landed in their own they were in their in their traditional yeah from their movies how that spider-man lands that was really well and even where um what like one spider-man did the sling the web slinging to two of the other ones to like sling them up and then use the momentum to carry him through i mean it was just all Mm -hmm. very that kind of stuff was very creative i liked it the movie was just cool and like i said earlier delightful it was entertaining a lot of times especially with this podcast i'm watching movies and you know i'm looking for not even bad things always just but things nit- i like just like nitpicking ooh. potentially or i like yeah. the score here ooh, that was a really cool shot or oh i think they could have done but this movie i was just about halfway through i realized like i'm not noticing any of that stuff i'm just having a really good time yeah. And and as we've now kind of maybe beaten 
the death to death the point i was worried about this movie i was really worried about how are they if all the rumors are true how are they ever going to make it come off in any sort of a would sincere it be, way would it be cheap in <laughs> yeah, any way exactly. yeah that like would toby show up for one scene and say like the with what if he was the one who showed up and quickly said with great power comes great responsibility right. and like so, that's all he did there's so many that missteps kind of stuff, yeah. that could have happened that they that they skillfully avoided and i think it's a it's a a testament to we've talked about this before especially with, with the marvel movies and the marvel series how they somehow remain very sincere we said that about shang chi if you'll recall that it was a story that could have been really cheesy and still remained very sincere and very it, it hits your emotions in, in a in not in a cheap way right i mean i found myself tearing up in several moments of that film that were really impactful and i thought were it was just remarkably well done with this movie yeah i was thinking that like i don't know if this is how they approached it but obviously there's a lot of easter eggs and a lot of backstory that helps you understand it but i i wonder if they approached it with the idea that like we need to write this as if these these characters showing up works if you don't even have the backstory of the other trilogies yeah. or in Garfield's case it was just two movies and i think they did a really good job of making that part of it that like you get it that like you know you've got three kind of different ages of Spider-Man. You've got these, these villains and you don't need to know for sure exactly what happened. Yeah. Or if you're somebody who has seen those movies, but it's been a long time, you don't even need to remember exactly what happened. Cause it's not just Easter egg. These are the characters that, you know, it, it works on its own as its own movie as well. It doesn't do that thing where it tries to be too clever. You know what I mean? It, it gives yeah. you the information. I agree with everything you just said. I think it gives you the information you need the characters explicitly say the things you need to know, which sometimes doesn't work in a movie. But in this case, it works perfectly that if you were meeting somebody who was a different version of you, you'd have all the questions in the world for them. And the easiest way would not be to do some some cunning one liner. It would be to just be like, yeah, my Uncle Ben died and I and I murdered his killer. Yeah, I let my girlfriend yeah. die. That sucked. Dude. I think somebody could enjoy this movie if they hadn't seen the Sam Raimi trilogy or the Andrew Garfield I agree. Spider-Man. I mean, I think movie. it, yeah, as you said, it gives you more of those little nods, but it's not necessary. And that's, that's a well-made movie as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's, that's how you make a sequel that it's not just a, yeah, like, Oh, there's stuff from the other movie. Nah, you'd probably need to see the other, the far from home to at least know what's going on sure. right at the beginning, but you'd get the picture. Right. If you even hadn't. without having, cause I, I was having that discussion with some people at work and they were like, they're like, I don't know if I've seen all the, all the ones through this. And I was like, well, I feel like you probably only have to have seen far from home to really know what's going on. And maybe Maybe WandaVision, you know, there's little things. I don't think but you, I, th I mean, for the post-credits thing, sure, but I don't know that you really yeah. need to have seen WandaVision to understand anything in the main movie. No, I don't, th I, yeah, that's when I, I was trying to work through it myself because it was, and then I was like, well, Spider-Man Far From Home is after Endgame. So they kind of reset it there yeah. anyway. So really I, I, you'll get it without far from home, but I think far from home would be like practically the only one you'd and need. And really you only kind of have to know what happened in the last scene. Even if you, I mean, it's good yeah. to have seen that whole movie. Sure. But I want to talk about if, if you're ready, I'd like to talk about the implications for future movies, 
Spider-Man movies first and then mm-hmm. post credit stuff. Yes. Um, you want to start with implications or post credit? I want to start with implications because for, for future Let's Spider-Man stuff, it. and then we'll talk about the implications for the, the larger MCU. I think one of the biggest implications right off the end of it, that's interesting. And Jen actually pointed this out to me and I was like, you know what? That's, that's a really clever way to show that is like, he's not, he doesn't have the advantage of being introduced to Stark technology anymore. Correct. He had to whip out a sewing machine yep. and make a new one. So he is really now more than ever, you truly your friendly neighborhood spider. Correct. I, I in the apartment from Spider-Man two, no less. Yes. I thought that was a, I thought that was a, a neat nod. Um, and the end, well, and they make up a, a really explicit point of, of pointing out that he doesn't know happy Hogan either. There's not that thread that yeah. he can potentially work with, and he doesn't, unless Doctor Strange. He's really on his own. He now. really is on his home, and that's where that's where the title comes from, right? No way home is not about. It's not yeah. about the multiverse thing. Those folks get away home. He doesn't. He has no home left to go to. He's yeah. He's a he's now a, a stranger in Peter Parker's body. Right. He basically, um, I did think an, a neat little nod was that at the end, MJ is still wearing the piece of broken black dahlia necklace which implies that something in her still finds that important i was very glad this didn't happen but for a second i thought she and ned were going to be an item and that she was going to kiss him when she brought the donut over to him some a neat little easter egg from the rest of the movie this comes up two times there's a homecoming photo that was taken that is just ned and mj Okay. And I think there is a chance in a future Spider-Man movie, if they make that movie where he's trying to rebuild his life, that that, they're, that they Well, because they kept writing it like that Ned was such a third wheel, and it's like, well, in a third wheel situation, if you take out one of the wheels, right. the other two wheels might still end up with each other I think because that's I, clearly a good, at least, friendship base. I think there's a distinct possibility that they do play to that if they bring this back in the future. Um, because again, now all the, and keep in mind that photo wasn't the, the fact that he, that, um, Peter Parker was absent wasn't because of the, the spell. It was because he had to duck out in the middle of his homecoming dance. Like yeah. there isn't a ton of evidence that would have to be changed because he's absent. They're going to go to ab- MIT right, without him. They're going to get together. They're going to work for Stark and then they're going to meet Spider-Man again. Correct. And there is, by the way, um, Ironheart, who is the probably going to be the the new iteration of Iron Man, and also good that they didn't make her Iron Girl, because duh. Ironheart is also an MIT person, as Tony Stark was, by the way. Tony Stark was an MIT graduate. Does Flash Thompson ever do anything but be like a jerk or like a douchebag? I don't know much about Flash Thompson, if I'm being honest. I, I, so I can't really answer that question. I, but they went a very different direction with him in this one too. Usually, Flash Thompson is like super jockey and like like physical bully, yeah. but this guy's like snooty rich kid jerk. Sure, which is fine, but that's just I've noticed. That. Yeah, I do. So here's my here's the sixty four thousand dollar question for you: Are they going to make another Tom Holland Spider Man movie? Yes or no? A standalone Spider-Man. Hmm. They stopped after three Iron Men. The only one who's gotten four is Thor. It hasn't come out, or right? Yeah. It hasn't come yeah, out yeah. yet. But there's going to be a fourth Thor. I would say 
I would say no. I think Tom Holland is also ready to move on a little bit. So I think he'll only be around for the big ones. He he said he said recently in an interview that he wouldn't want to play Spider-Man until he was 40, but he's also what, like 25? Yeah. So I mean, I, I think I, I don't think it's impossible that that mm, let me back up. The way they have written this movie, I don't think makes it clear one way or the other whether or not and I, they have written themselves a perfect ending. And of course, with the whole Sony Disney thing, like obviously they knew that could come up again. My, but they did tease a new plot line for Spider-Man with one of the mid credit sure. scenes. Yes, they did. Well, and Sony has not quite confirmed, but a lot of the industry chatter right now is that a fourth Spider-Man movie is in the works um, that will have the, the Venom crossover that you're sort of uh, coyly alluding to. Um, yeah, which I think is good. Uh, it's historically obviously can be a, a, a franchise killer, <laughs> but, uh, you know, depending on who's in the, the driver's seat. Um, and they already have an idea for what this venom should be like, right. cause if it's from the Tom Hardy venom, then it, it should be something The I haven't seen let there be carnage. Why does he know that Peter Parker is Spider-Man? Is that just from, does he come up across that at some point? In his, I haven't either, so I'm curious to I know seen how that works. He must know it somehow because that's the reason people cross the universe. I think the implication is that is Venom knows Venom is a symbiote, which means he has a yeah. hive mind with all the other Venoms everywhere. Yeah, and that it's not necessarily that Eddie Brock, Tom Hardy knows. It's that yeah. Venom has this link with all the other multiverses Venoms. Yes. One nitpick with that, though. Okay, so maybe bars are open super late in Mexico, or maybe he was somehow there after hours. But if everybody was zapped back to their respective universes at dawn in New York, why would he be at an open bar in Mexico? At 4 or 5 a.m.? Yeah. Oh, I think I just answered it. You don't think that is there, are are they still open then? I mean, do other do depending on where depending on where you are. Some like think about like a resort in Mexico, like those bars or you know I just took a trip to Vegas recently. Those bars are open twenty four seven, bud. <laughs> That's true. Uh, depends on where you are. I think is the point. I still that was a nitpick for me. I mean, I don't I don't know that I hate your nitpick. I'm just saying it doesn't that didn't strike me as being really that unusual. Or like maybe egregious. I missed maybe I missed a sign behind the bar that says last call six a.m. Yeah, who knows? Anyway, yeah, I think well, and the implication, by the way, the the way that scene went down is that it won't be Tom Hardy who is the Venom in a in mm-hmm. a Tom Holland run Spider Man four. It would be somebody else, which is, I mean, I also think they could keep making Spider Man Spider Man movies. Now we're getting into the Spider Man thing again <laughs> as Miles Morales. I think people would be happy with with a live action Miles Morales. You know what I mean? I'm, I think that's a possibility you know too. What's also interesting about this Spider Man world? Um, he, you know, Tom Holland Spider Man mentions getting bit by a spider and everything. But is that spider still at large? No. What's going on? No, there? he specifically, if you will recall, Ned okay, kind of I- tried to be like, well, uh, I don't know. I mean, a, a radioactive spider could bite me. Like I'd be, oh, and 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 Peter's like, he's dead. The spider's dead. Okay, yeah. then there we go. I have my answer. Yeah. Thank you. It's okay. I, I do think it's that is one of those moments that's pretty memorable from Homecoming where it's like, no, Ned, he's dead. Sp- the spider is dead. <laughs> you can't get spider powers. Ned wants power so bad. 
And in this movie, there is a little evidence that maybe he'll become one of the, the sorcerers. He, yeah. he can make the sling ring work. Now, here's something that's interesting. I don't know. I would assume you have similar previews because Disney's really, Disney's really strategic with the previews that get to go ahead of their movies. Yes. So did you see the Morbius preview? Yes. And the Vulture is yeah. played by Michael <laughs> Keaton. Yeah. So, but it, that's not an MCU movie exactly, is it? I I don't, th- well, no, I think Morbius is a, I think Morbius is a Sony picture. That's what I was thinking. Because isn't, but, but I think Morbius is a villain from Spider-Man, I think. Yes. Yeah. But is that, a, yeah, so is that a Sony movie? And then you have Vulture played by, like, how connected are these going to be now? I, I mean, yeah, that's a, a Sony Pictures Morbius is. Yeah, I don't know. I well, I, I mean, they're clearly. It's a good question because I can see, you know, they're making I, that new Blade movie. I can see a situation in which Morbius is a villain in a future Spider-Man movie and potentially a villain in a Blade movie, or an anti-hero. If, you know what I mean? I do. You think there's any chance that this deal to make this had? Disney allow them to use Tom Holland Spider-Man in a movie. I mean, potentially. Well, potentially. Do you think you think think he's going to make an appearance in Morbius? Is what you're saying? It seems like it's the same universe. But here, but here's something. Can I? Here's the problem with that. The Vulture doesn't know that Peter Parker is Spider-Man because of a spell. I mean, I guess he would still know Spider-Man was the one that put him away. So there is that. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Also. Jared Leto's is uh, kind of kills every franchise he appears in. So I don't know if there's going to be more than one appearance of Morbius, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Nobody really likes working with him. And nobody, I don't, I mean, there, I, I think he has some like super fans, but he keeps getting a lot of work. Yeah. He's talented. I, I won't say he's not, but he's also, I don't know. There's just something kind of scummy about him in just about anything he appears yeah. in. I don't know. Which is like the exact opposite of the MCU. Right. Well, he's good for a character like Morbius, who is, in fact, kind of scummy. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. But that that line of thinking didn't work with Joker, right? Although I guess he's showing up again. Who knows? <laughs> All right. It's hard to keep track of. So I don't know whether they're... Who knows whether they're making another Spider-Man movie? I think this this movie was written so that it could go either way. And I think either way it goes is probably going to be... Okay, I'd love to see more of Tom Holland as Spider-Man, but I get it. I think one thing's for sure is Disney's not done making Spider-Man. It's just movies. whether Tom Holland is the Spider-Man. Yeah, that's yes. that's right. So then the follow-up is, hey, guess who was really right about uh, the implications of the Marvel What If cartoon series? Us. <laughs> I'm gonna give that one to you. I feel like you had that more than I did, oh, but well, yeah. That- but again, spoil. I mean, we've already said spoiler alert. The uh, the very final post-credit scene, which. It's not even a scene. It's just a trailer. It's a trailer. <laughs> Correct. When we went to see it, you know, everyone stuck around for the mid credit scene, but you could tell who the real fans were <laughs> who stayed in their <laughs> seats for the end credits scene. You got to wait until that, like, that projector goes back to showing ads for Pepsi or whatever before you know that a Marvel movie's over. Yeah, exactly. The trailer, which is now you can see publicly online. Uh, of for the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which is coming out in March, which I'm extremely excited for. And 
you know, there's been a lot of talk about, well, will Wanda be the villain in Multiverse of Madness? And I think that was sort of the, the implication they were setting up. But the cinematic trailer, uh, I think, debunks that completely. The villain of the new Doctor Strange movie is another Doctor Strange. <laughs> and because of how powerful Doctor Strange can be, it's probably going to have to be a team up with Wanda right. and Doctor Strange. It, and it's Strange yeah. Supreme. Yeah, it's the one that, that ate all the demon souls or the monster souls. And yeah. also we learn in, in this, in Spider-Man, that he is not the Sorcerer Supreme. Wong is the Sorcerer Supreme, quote unquote, through a loophole. Because he was gone for five years. But I think the implication is that Doctor Strange may not be the most powerful sorcerer, even if he is still supremely powerful. So yes, mm. I think that's where the team up with Wanda becomes necessary to defeat a, a much stronger version. And by the way, what is interesting about Strange Supreme is that he was motivated to become Strange Supreme by losing his loved one tragically, which Wanda did also. Yeah. And did everything they could to change reality to bring them back. <laughs> so I think it'll what be. What is grief if not love persisting? Yeah. So I think it'll be interesting to. I think her inclusion as a member of that team up is going to be very interesting for what the resolution of, of that. We've been excited for this one really since like the start of this podcast, I feel yes, like. Yes, well, because it's been talked about for that long. <laughs> yeah, and then the rumors of it being like more of like a straight horror film yes. like that, like, because, yeah, that's perked me up a little bit. Like, I like when they venture into other genres in the Marvel universe. I do too. And Thor Love and Thunder is going to be a romantic comedy. I mean, you know what I mean? Perfect. <laughs> so, Sign me up. Yeah. Um, I'm just waiting for the, the, well, yeah, the new Captain America, Sam. Uh, within a uh, Hallmark Christmas movie. Let's do that. <laughs> Oy vey. So I think uh, across the board, go see Spider-Man No Way Home. It's really good. <laughs> it's just a really good film. Uh, 10 out of 10. We'll see it again. Yep. And uh, and it is now, by the way, in the roster of movies that can, ten can tangentially be considered Christmas movies. You can add it into your yearly roster, Chops. Yeah, you'll have to convince people for a very, very long time that it is, in fact, a Christmas movie because you don't get that payoff until right at the end. But it's there. It is a Christmas. If you show, <laughs> if you show the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree, you're a Christmas movie. And even when he's jumping fact. through multi, the the like the mirror verse, there's all he goes through a shopping mall that's yeah. all Christmas stuff. So, how about geometry? Is Beats calculus is uh, Doctor Strange's downfall? One weakness. Well, he re specifically refers to you know the, in the calculus of the universe. And remember, Kang the Conqueror had a bunch of calculus on his. Well, sorry, the one who watches or the one who mm -hmm. remains. His chalkboard was full of calculus in the Loki series. Yes, it is very funny that geometry is the thing that beats the sort of cosmic calculus. And I'm good at geometry. By the way, and he just pulls everything together, traps him there for hours. I have to say this line. So, it, you know, we always start with uh, what do you think of when I say and the other contender was let's cure those asses. <laughs> <laughs> and I did think that that was a really, really remarkably funny line. <laughs> yeah, the, the, this movie had it all as far as like the spectrum of emotion. It was exciting. It was gut wrenching it was tear inducing. It was funny. It, it hit all those hallmarks that Marvel has been able to hit. For the most part, but this one did it all. Yeah, and legitimately laugh out loud funny. All right. Well, folks, thanks as always for uh, listening to Nerd Association. You can reach out to us. Let us know what you think of this. And, and 
give us your theories on where the the Marvel multiverse is headed. You can do that by finding us on Twitter at nerdassoc, N-E-R-D underscore A-S-S-O-C. You can reach out to us via email, nerdassoc at gmail.com. Let us know uh, in this new year what you want to talk about, uh, what you want to hear us talk about. Maybe you could even come on and be one of our nerds. Thanks for listening, and uh, here's to a happy 2022.